Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Eric Sim. Eric is a banker, speaker, author and founder of the Institute of Life. Eric, welcome to the podcast. I am thrilled to be talking to you today. Thanks for having me, Adrian. I saw the question that you prepared. It's so amazing. You've done so much homework. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got so many things that I'm going to discuss with you today. We're going to talk about work and careers, how to strengthen your professional network and how the small actions that we take today can put us on a path to big career success tomorrow. So Eric, firstly, you've had a very interesting career and life. So can you tell us a bit about your career journey and then what led you to creating the Institute of Life? I started out uh, helping my father, who's a street food vendor. He sold prawn noodle in Singapore Hawker Centre for over 30 years. I helped him from elementary school all the way to university. And that's all I know uh, when I was young. So mm. when, I was studying in engineering, when I was studying engineering in National University of Singapore, I went to become a bartender as well. And... After that, I decided to not pursue engineering as my career, but uh, went to do banking for over 20 years. And I took a lot of lessons from, from when I was helping my father to, to banking. And now I teach in universities and also I uh, set up Institute of Life. And it is really uh, to complement what is being taught in school. Because after teaching in the several universities, I realized that we are teaching students the hard skills. But in investment banking, we need also the, the soft skills, the people skills. And that's what uh, Institute of Life is teaching, mainly targeting at my students and young professionals. Yeah, and how did you... How did you, I suppose, get onto the path of, of engineering and then later on investment banking? You mentioned, you know, growing up helping your father, who was a street vendor. So what was that journey like to, to becoming an investment banker? Um, number one, I, I never thought um, I would one day become an investment banker. Uh, it is, I, I didn't even know that this profession exists, right? I was just uh, helping my father to cook noodles. But... When pursuing engineering, I thought life would be very boring if you do, just do one job. I know what engineering is like, so why don't I try uh, banking? And the interviewer asked me, hey, um, you're an engineer, you've got no idea about banking. Uh, what do you do during uh, your university time? I said that you know, I, I didn't do much. Um, I was a bartender in the night and on, on the weekends. So what lesson do you pick up? So I, I told uh, the interviewer to s- saying that when I first joined, I didn't know how to make drinks. I was so slow. And I went home to memorize the recipe 
memorize the glass, you know, martini, you need a martini glass. If you, if you serve champagne, you need a champagne glass and you need to put in the garnish as well. So I was very slow on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is ladies' nights. A lot of people came. <laughs> and I said, no, this cannot be it. Come Friday, I got four layers of people in front of me uh, pushing the drinks coupon and ordering all different drinks from Singapore Sling to Bourbon Coke to, to Rainbow. And Rainbow is a seven-layer drink. And I said, I cannot make Rainbow in this, uh, at this time, it's Friday night, it will hold up the queue. So I told the people in front of me, I said that I'm going to make bourbon coke now. Who wants bourbon coke? Half the people changed their order to bourbon coke, you know, the guy who ordered Singapore Sling, the guy who ordered uh, Rainbow, they all changed and that makes my work easy. The interviewer was impressed and that's how I got into banking. Wow, I love that story. So you were able to, I suppose, demonstrate efficiency and maybe, uh, you know, thinking in an innovative way, even in that setting of the bar to then take that and think, well, actually, if he can, if that's the way his mind works, if he's going to problem solve in one scenario, then he can take that and problem solve in, in any situation. I think that's fascinating. And then, so you went into, into banking. Now, of course, I know that from, from the talks that I've heard you do and from the work that I've seen of yours, I know that you worked with a lot of wealthy people and wealth management was something that you did for a long time. Now, of course, mm. we've probably all heard this common phrase we've all heard many people say that money is won't, it won't make you truly happy and we've heard that it's almost a cliche very wealthy people will tell this lesson that actually it doesn't matter how much money you have if you're not truly happy money won't change that and yet of course many people pursue money relentlessly and it's important to recognize that money is important it gives us choices it gives us agency so however i suppose once you have enough money it's it's about for many people isn't it having more and more and more and and recognizing that that won't necessarily change how you feel about your life or how you feel about yourself so in that experience in your experience why do you think so many people who are very wealthy who pursue a lot of money why do you think they fail to recognize when they have enough? Yeah, um, I do deal with uh, a lot of rich people. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, owners or major shareholders of uh, listed companies. And also among my peers, uh, a lot of them come from uh, wealthy family. So I, I figure out that once you are wealthy, you tend to join a wealthy group of people. That means you mix with people of similar status and you start buying things and then you compare your cars and you know your house. And once you make more money, you will mix, then you, you will mix with a, a richer group of people. So it's never ending. Uh, that's why people feel that fail to recognize that they have enough because there's always somebody uh, richer than you. You start building a house, you thought you're rich enough, then you know your, your neighbor or your uh, friend start building another house and now they have a wine cellar you know, in the basement. And then you feel unhappy. You know? And the people fail to recognize that happiness cannot cancel out unhappiness. Say, for example, now, 
you are rich enough, you take business class, and because you are a frequent flyer, you got upgraded to first class. That should make you very happy. The, the cabin crew spilled coffee on your white blouse. That will make you very unhappy, right? New white blouse, spill coffee, and then you don't have a change of clothes when you land. So you can see that being upgraded uh, to first class, which makes you really happy, cannot cancel the unhappiness of the stain on your clothes. And this is why um, people, although they have money, they still not happy. And also because they keep comparing uh, with people. And also remember, when you derive your happiness from having uh, material possession, that is when your unhappiness will come in as well. And how do you think this correlates to success? So how do you think the two things are linked between happiness and success? Because on the one hand, you might have wealth and money, but there's also other kinds of success that people can achieve. So do you think that actually the pursuit of success can lead you to happiness or is it a kind of similar trap? Um, no, um, I think pursuing uh, success can also make you uh, un unhappy. I, I feel that um, we should derive um, different form of happiness. Happiness is like uh, vitamins. If you only take vitamin A, which is just deriving your happiness from having successful career, from having uh, material goods, then you only have one form of happiness and it's not sustainable. So what we should do is we should derive uh, multiple sources of happiness. We can be from relationship, having good relationship with the people around you, that gives you happiness. Helping others give you happiness. And you'll be surprised, right? That it takes very little money to be happy. For example, I was once uh, queuing up uh, in Singapore uh, hawker center where they sell chicken rice. The chicken rice was uh, five Singapore dollars. And the person in front of me, it was a young, young chap uh, in office attire. He realized that he has only three dollars, three Singapore dollars. So he's short of two. And it seems like he didn't expect the chicken rice to be so expensive in the CBD area. Maybe he, he, was, he was new. And without um, saying anything to him, I just passed a $2 note to the owner. I, I, I know the owner of the chicken rice. I said, I'll cover for him. And the owner was happy because you know, he can move, start moving the queue. And this young chap was also relieved. He finally can have his lunch. And for that day, and even until today, whenever I recall, right, it was the best $2 that I ever spent. <laughs> because for $2, what can you buy? You buy a bar of uh, chocolate and you eat it and then you, you'll be happy for maybe one or two minutes. But when you help others, that happiness can last longer. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. So relationships is one area. Helping others. Uh, what else should we be, what other vitamins of happiness should we be trying to add to our diets? Um, doing something meaningful. For example, you know, you try to make people's life better. You could be giving talks, sharing your, your know-how. Like for example, Adrian, you're doing this podcast. Mm. Um, it's helping a lot of people, right? And you manage to get good speakers to come on. 
I believe it gives you happiness. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done this for for four years.、Mm. Absolutely, yeah, you're so right. It's it's one of my favorite things that I enjoy every every opportunity that I have to record with someone like yourself, and exactly what you said, sharing it with others and knowing that whoever's listening to this right now, whether they're walking their dog, whether they're running, whether they're driving in the car,、uh, it, it, I always like to think of all the different places and all the different people who might take something that someone says on this show, a guest or, or myself actually, and they might think. Actually, I'm going to try that this week, or I'm going to have that conversation and share this with someone, or I'm going to start to implement some of the things that I've listened to. And I think that ripple effect and knowing that exactly as you described, you don't, I might not never ever know, or the guest might ever know the impact or or the help that that's given somebody. But I definitely know the the podcast that I listen to, the books that I've listened to, the speakers that I've listened to. I could probably say that some of those people have changed my life. And I've never met them.、Mm. I've never. They'll never know. Actually, they'll never. I'll never be able to thank them.、Uh, but I'm always so grateful when I read a book or, or listen to something that truly impacts and changes my my trajectory or my thought process. That yeah, I hope. I really hope that I'm able to do that for listeners of this show as well. You reading a book、um, gives you happiness. That me writing a book also gives me happiness, especially when readers、uh, reach out to me to say that.、Uh, They resonated、uh, a lot with what I say, or they have taken some action, and it has changed their life. So it works both way, reader and the author. Yes, and something impactful that I have heard you talk about is the three capitals that you need to be successful: financial, human, and social. So, can you talk to us about this? Tell us what this means. Sure.、Um, So when I was、uh, younger, I didn't have、uh, money.、Um, you know, we 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 were living on selling noodles, and I didn't do so well in school. So I didn't have a、uh, human capital, and I got no relationship with people. I was so bad at、uh, talking to people. So the the three capital、uh, number one is human capital at a personal level. It is your knowledge. Whether is it doing a podcast, whether is it、uh, engineering or finance, so those are your human capital. Social capital is the goodwill that you have accumulated over time、uh, with people, and then people are willing to help you. For example, you buy coffee, you buy lunch、uh, when somebody is in need, you help them. Financial capital is you able to use some money to. To buy your podcast gears, you know, to engage a producer because all this、uh, costs money, and you need that. Sometimes it is the money you set aside to attend、uh, courses, short courses to learn about video editing, so that that will also help you. And I'll use myself as an example. When I was young, I got none of these three, so I decided to just focus on mathematics. I failed like five subject. Uh, before uh, GCSE, and say, okay, I'm bad at English. I'm bad in history. I can't write for nuts. Let me just focus on mathematics. So once I start doing well in mathematics, my classmate who you know never really bothered to speak to me, suddenly a few of them start coming to me, and you know I was a teenager. Suddenly you got these girls、uh, coming to me to ask me for help,、uh, for to help them on their、uh, in their mathematics. Then that's when I 
start to build some uh, relationship with people. And that gives that will help me become slightly more confident. And I also use my knowledge in mathematics to make some money by giving a private tuition to, to, to students. And this goes all the way to, to now, today. Uh, anybody who wants to start can just pick up a skill, say, doing a podcast, editing video, uh, know how to shoot a video or produce Instagram Reels, so that is your human capital. And once you can do that, people come to you because you are useful. And it is also naive to think that, okay, we should be sincere, but a lot of time relationship is built based on what you can bring to others. And mm -hmm. having a skill will help. And once you have relationship, you have some confidence, the, the money will come in. You know, some people might say, hey, I want to sponsor your podcast. That's when the the money will, will come in as well. And with these three, then people can uh, be on the path to success. Yeah, I, I really like how simply you describe that, actually. I, I love the idea of you know, human capital and, and essentially that's that's your skills and that your skills have utility. And even that, that honesty about the candidness about relationships and saying, actually, it's not necessarily a bad thing to assume that if you have a skill, if you have a talent, if you have something to offer, then yes, that can help you to build relationships or to meet people because your skills have utility. So if you're useful to others, then of course, you're going to have more opportunities. How do you think people now in the in the modern digital first world, many people are working remotely, they're working from home, they may have social media accounts, but maybe they don't feel as though their social capital is, is that big. And for many people, they say to me, it's hard to meet people and actually just sending people messages or, or you know, via social media or email, there's so much noise that it, online, we can get hundreds of messages. So it's quite hard for people to feel like they can cut through that and, and build real relationships to, to in, build their social capital. So in the yeah, digital first world, do you have any advice for people who think that social capital is the, the area maybe that they're lacking? Um, yeah, it is, uh, especially when uh, work from home uh, reduce the opportunity to meet and there are not so many uh, big conferences uh, until recently. So two things, one is, we should still make an effort to meet people. I, I know some of the senior people around me are very busy. So I suggest a walk and talk. So I know a president for a, a top university. So I say, hey, uh, professor, can I meet you? I know you don't have time. I will come to your house. I'll wait outside the gate at 6 a.m. because I know he, he goes for a morning walk. I'm, I'm willing to come as early as 6 a.m. And I'll join you in your morning walk from 6 to 7. When you end, I'll go. So I didn't take up extra time of his. Mm. He's doing the morning walk anyway. And number two, um, he's exercising. And even he's, he doesn't exercise, this also encouraged him to uh, spend the time with me, talking to me and exercising. So that is also how we can build social capital by thinking, how we, can we make it easy for others uh, mm. to, to meet us instead of, hey, can you spare one hour with me? I want you to teach me something. You know, we, um, we, we don't need to do that. 
Then the second thing is sometimes it's not necessarily to meet people in order to have a relationship. I met uh, on, on LinkedIn a person called Chris Mathieu. He He's a LinkedIn learning instructor. I was trying to learn this software called ScreenFlow to record screen and record my talking head for, for a video, training video that I'm doing for university. So I dropped him a message. I say that, hey, I, I took up your course. There's something that I don't understand. He then said, why don't you jump on Zoom call? And he, he lives in California. I live in Singapore. You know, we are 15 hours apart. And from there, right, after that uh, Zoom call, he has become my uh, remote live production manager. Whenever I do a big event, um, he's always there to help me uh, produce the show. So, and until today, two years on, mm. we have not met in person, but we are collaborating uh, so much. And there's money exchange because sometimes if I do a big show that I get paid, I pay him as well. Mm. Great. I love that. Exactly. We can, we can build relationships in real life. I really like that example of saying, don't make it hard for the other person, make it as easy as possible for them. Maybe, maybe it's not someone, you know, well enough to go and walk with them, but actually, yeah. How can you make it really easy for them or something that they need? Could you offer to solve that problem and offer to help as a way of, uh, of introduction? I really like that idea. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And you mentioned LinkedIn. Now, I recently spoke to Daniel Priestley. Are you familiar with Daniel Priestley? Uh, no, sorry. I, I will, I'll look him up. Yes, he is a wonderful, wonderful guy and speaker and coach. And I think that you two would would be very well suited. So I'd love to introduce you to him. Uh, and we talked uh, last last month on the podcast and he talked about LinkedIn. And when we were discussing social media and for young professionals and entrepreneurs and creatives, we had a really great conversation actually about LinkedIn, because I know so many young people and, and professionals that will spend hours and hours every day on Instagram and on TikTok talk, but they hardly ever look at LinkedIn. And when I've started to say to them recently, Hey, you know what? There's a lot going on on LinkedIn. You should post on there. You should connect with people on there. Some of them just tell me they don't really know where to start, or they kind of think that LinkedIn is just really corporate and it's just for yeah, corporate professionals and not so much for them. So personally, I think that there is this huge potential that they are missing out on. I think there's a lot of upside, a lot of opportunity on that platform. So what do you think about LinkedIn? Because I know that you also post a lot on LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn changed my life. Uh, it is because of LinkedIn, I can now have a portfolio career. I, I was a banker. And because of LinkedIn, I get people coming to me, um, meet to senior executive. They, they want uh, career advice. So I became their, their coach, um, speaking engagement. And even this podcast, right? You must have found me mm -hmm. via LinkedIn. Um, 
and that's that's how we are talk- that's why we are talking uh, right now. It is very difficult uh, for young people because they feel that they got nothing to share uh, about career. So that is uh, not true. A lot of time, the the older one, the more experienced professionals, they would love to help. They also want to know what's the mindset. And there's always a group of audience that you can help. If you are already working for a couple of years, you can help the students who want to get into the industry that you are in. Or you are in your final year in university, you can help year one student or some younger uh, kids who are thinking of uh, which department or which major they should uh, focus on. So there is always a group of people, but compared to Instagram and TikTok, somehow, right, it is a bit difficult to get traction at the beginning because you don't have friends to support you. And you're not supposed to post what you eat and your holidays, you're supposed to (laughs) post something smart, right? A lesson learned. Uh, I would suggest maybe posting about your doubt. I do post about my my failures. I think revealing your failures can make you more authentic. And as a young person, uh, it is okay, you know, uh, be, be humble and let those um, experienced people come and help you. I've got fellow MDs um, from my banking uh, career who are looking to connect with young people and who wants to give back. So if the young listener out there, can you help my older friends? They are looking mm-hmm. to give back, but they cannot find any young people on LinkedIn uh, to give back to. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. Yes. I'm sure there's many listeners who would love that opportunity. What about the challenge that people say to me about too busy? So some people will say to me, Adrienne, I am too busy with the work I'm doing, or I'm too busy trying to, uh, do what I need to do now to think about having the time and the space to create content or to write articles. And on the one hand, they're like, yeah, I need to do those things. And they recognize they, they want mm. to do it, but they're saying to me, well, it's, you know, it is very time consuming, of course, isn't it? So do you think this is something that people need to, you know, create the time and space to do themselves? Is it something they could maybe outsource to someone else or is it just, yeah, a case of start small yeah. and actually, you know, start with something small. Yeah, um, you don't have to outsource. And the a way to start is to leave insightful comments on people that you uh, find inspirational or people who are already in the industry that you want to work in or some people mm-hmm. senior. So if you leave, say for example, if you come to my account, you're welcome to come to my account, uh, to my LinkedIn I, I write every week. If you find a post that resonated with you, leave insightful comment. Um, don't just write a good post, good article, mm-hmm. you know, write how you feel. Then my followers can look at you and look at your comment and then form an opinion about you. Maybe they will engage with you. If they see you regularly and when you reach out to them, they'll be more willing to uh, accept your connection request. So that is uh, the first thing you, have, you can do. Leave insightful comment. Number two, know that writing at the beginning, at the start, is really, really daunting. Mm. I started writing on LinkedIn in 2015, uh, around February. I have a couple of days of holiday over Chinese New Year. 
and I was worried I was I was already MD at UBS, you know, um, a senior position. Even for me, I have doubt. What happened if people laugh at my English, or people find out that oh, MD of UBS writes such bad English, or what would my colleagues think about me? Um, am I too free? How come I'm not chasing after investment banking deals? How come I got so much time? So a lot, a lot of doubt. But once you start writing the first article, the second article becomes easier, and then the third one becomes uh, easier and easier. For the first one, it took me three days to write, one day to edit, and it took me hours, right, to click on that submit button, you know, the yeah. post button. It it took me a while, uh, but now I can uh, write post first and I edit afterwards. <laughs> I don't even care if I make a grammatical error or a spelling error uh, these days because people focus on your content more than uh, how you write it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think often we're too uh, fearful to put things out onto the internet. And as you said, one person might have a comment or what's this person going to think? And I think we quickly learn, actually, you quickly learn that you might spend days and days and days, you hit post and the whole world doesn't look at your post anyway. The whole world doesn't stop, stop what they're doing, put down <laughs> their coffee and read your article. After a while, you think, actually, it takes a long time to actually get people to look at what you're doing in the first place. So I think when you start, it's a real lesson, actually in humility to think maybe three people might read it maybe 30 but yeah. actually it's not going to be this huge everybody pay attention no. uh, unless you're i don't know unless your first article is a viral one then you're probably going to have quite a while to practice and, and get better before you have a huge audience yeah un unlikely to be viral uh, for your first first article and yeah that's the worst thing that can happen to you after you write and <laughs> yeah. nobody read it Rather, yeah. yeah, this is what people, uh, this is actually most likely to happen. Yeah. Uh, nobody read what you post. So don't worry about writing your first article. Just post first and you can always improve from there. Yeah, I agree. And so let's talk about small actions. Let's talk about the book. You've written a book alongside Simon Motlock, a book to help people with their career success. It's been incredibly popular in different countries around the world. So when you decided to, to write this book together, who did you have in mind? So, you know, I was looking at myself, uh, uh, at my career path, and then how I was able to uh, move from a hawker to becoming a banker. So I said there must be many people out there. There must be that 22-year-old Eric and Erica out there, young professionals with no family connection, didn't go to top schools, very little clue about the industry. Uh, could be investment banking, could be in management consulting, the kind of industry that business students want to join. A lot of people try to join. Um, so I said, maybe I can write a book to help those people because I, it's a book I wish I had when I was 22 years old, since I was so clueless. And yeah, those, those are the people that is um, intended to help. And what is it specifically about 
small actions because of course it would be great to give people a blueprint and say this is exactly what you need to do but you really focus on yeah the small things you can do today which is very aligned with with my mindset and a lot of the things that I talk about to do with habits and to do with progression and performance actually with everything for whether it's health whether it's uh, building your business whether it's writing your book whatever it is I also share the sentiment that actually the thing that we do today the thing that we do with one hour it's like a domino effect and actually looking at the big mm. picture is great but if you can focus on the details and the the marginal gains the one percent improvements it's gonna over time have a huge huge impactful effect the, the compound interest i suppose so yes what is it about yeah. the small actions and which which specifically do you think actually are the most impactful yeah so it, it for for the listener out there if you think about something that is big that you have achieved right maybe a person that you met that changed your life if you keep tracing back you realize it's one of the small action that you did say for example my linkedin uh, after writing for seven years got more than two million followers what was the small action i did i i i did it was in 2015 over the Chinese New Year holiday, I decided to just publish one article. I didn't think of being a blogger. I, mean, I, I was, there is a bit of wishful thinking to be a blogger, but I, I say, I just write one article first and see the feedback. You know, if nothing happened, then you know, I just give up. So it is that one article that uh, set the train moving. And also when we give advice, Let's say we want to give advice to somebody uh, who is not very fit, maybe slight uh, overweight. And we all know that to, to keep fit, you need to exercise three times a week, maybe one, one hour each time. If you give this advice to this person who have never exercised in the last 10 years, he will not do it. Hmm. He will not, from not exercising, to exercising three times a week, but he knows exercise is good for him and he really wants to keep fit, just that he will not do it. So I always say, forget about the three times a week. Once a week, go out there, walk for 30 minutes at your own pace. If he can do that, he'll find that there's a benefit, then he may do it twice a week for a walk. Then I will advise him, why don't you do a walk run? Walk one minute and run one minute for 30 minutes. And when you get fitter, climb five, uh, five stories of stairs when you end. And that's how you can get people uh, going. And it is this momentum that people get motivated mm. and they, they, they will do it themselves. So I really believe in uh, introducing small action to the people around me and a lot of them have gone on to achieve uh, big things you know i said hey just reach out just send one cold email and that cold email turns out to um, be life-changing because they got connected with somebody who inspired them yeah, I agree. And I think the action is the part that's so important and often the part that is missed because people, even listening to us have this conversation, they might feel something and think, yeah, I know what he's saying is right or I've thought about that before and they, they kind of 
the missing step is actually to take action because it's very easy and we've all done this i know i have to have ideas and to think about i, I could probably tell you now 10 ideas of 10 uh, articles that i could write or 10 emails that i could send to 10 different people or 10 wonderful guests that i could try and get onto the podcast but none of those things will happen if i don't take action if i don't actually pick up the pen or send the email. And I think that's the missing link for so many people is they don't have either the accountability to do it. I don't, I, I do believe everyone has ideas. Everyone I speak to has mm. ideas. They're motivated. They, they, it's not a lack of, of, of substance. It's just the, the accountability is missing to say, if there's not a deadline or if there isn't somebody there that says you have to do this by tomorrow, that's actually quite a helpful thing for me is I set myself deadlines and then I hold myself as if somebody else, like imagine I had to send the, the article to you or to, you know, the editor mm. of my book, or I have to set a deadline that's immovable. And then no matter what happens when that time comes, you have to do it. And I think for so many people that I speak to, if they can take what you're saying and actually pick one thing that they're going to say, okay, this is an action and pick a date and a time and make sure that mm. within one week or within maybe less than that, maybe within 24 hours, they have to have done one action. I think hopefully, hopefully they'll listen and think, okay, she's right. I'm going to do it today. And what you can do is break your action uh, so small that you can do it easily. Say, for example, walking for 30, min 30 minutes once a week is still too much. I say, why don't you reduce to 15 minutes? Mm. Uh, a light, uh, one bus stop uh, before your home, before your destination, and walk that one bus stop. That's it. Do, do it once a week. You know, that's how you get started. Because once your muscle gets conditioned, you will feel like doing uh, one more time. And then once you see a little bit of result, you will want to do more. So whenever there is challenges, whenever there is difficulty, keep breaking down the action into smaller pieces. Hmm. What about when things don't go to plan, things don't go well? You mentioned then that you know you share your own failures. And I think for a lot of people, this, this idea of momentum and energy that we're talking about, they have momentum, hmm. but then when something goes wrong, when they get a rejection, or maybe they maybe they've been made redundant recently, or maybe they're trying to stick to the exercise plan and then then they get injured when something happens where they feel as though this is almost like a blocker or a roadblock in their in their journey for many people that stops them and it's hard to start again so what what advice do you have for anyone who's in that position now where they had they did start they did the small action but then some things has stopped them yeah um for for me my life is uh full of failures so i'm very uh used to failing and sometimes right I try to take advantage of uh, failing. For example, I failed my literature um, in school, in, in middle school. I got 28 out of 100 for my English literature. You know, this Merchant of Venice, uh, Shakespeare doesn't make sense to me at that time. You know, I don't know why we were asked to, to read that and so when I want to start, when I want to write on LinkedIn, I say that my English is bad. How can I write? So I decided to write short sentences using simple words. And I use photos to tell the story so I can write less. And that worked 
because social media user got very short attention span. In fact, the attention span of adults these days is uh, shorter than goldfish. Goldfish attention span is nine seconds. Adult after social media is eight seconds. So that wow. helped me gain followers uh, whose, whose native language is not English as well. So I, my weakness in English became my strength. So sometimes when you have a weakness or a failure, you can um, turn it around. That's, that's, that's one. I, I applied for Princeton, a PhD program in year about... Uh, 22 years ago, and then they sent me this letter. They say that, Mr. Singh, we received your letter. You know, the Princeton committee has reviewed your application. Unfortunately, we cannot admit you, but we'll put you on waiting list. 22 years later, I'm still waiting. And and uh, I, while waiting, these 22 years while waiting, when I was working for City, I asked uh, City HR to bring me along when she goes for campus recruitment. So she did, she brought me. I gave a talk. I was a vice president, you know, a mid-career mid, mid title. The professor liked it, asked me come, to come back and uh, teach financial engineering. I. They like it. They asked me to teach EMBA. And after about 16 years, I got my adjunct associate professor without a PhD. So yeah. failure is not the end. It's not, it's not fatal. Um, you, you can find ways around it. So I managed to, to keep my banking job and still teach in a university. I think I make more money uh, this way than having the PhD and teach full-time in the university. So you can see that fa failure doesn't, doesn't have to end there. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, Eric, from the, the stories that you've told us today, I feel like it's actually about the tenacity and the will to find an alternative route. I feel like whatever happens to you in any scenario, you're going to say, okay, well, let me try this way or let me go that way. And, you know, I think that a lot of people, uh, hopefully if they could adopt that same attitude of like, okay, I'm going to find a different way, then that would be really helpful for them. So let's talk about the power hour because the first hour of my day, I believe is the most, it can be incredibly powerful and it can set the tone for whatever comes next in your day. So Eric, can you tell us about your first hour in the morning? What time do you get up each day and what does your first hour include? Yeah, um, to do so many things, uh, I really need to manage my time and managing my time means manage my energy. And when it comes to time management, I'm a selfish person. I keep the best time for myself and I give my low energy time to others. So the best time for myself is in the morning. I wake up at 5.30. I'll do my thinking, writing, reflection. I will ask myself, what is the one small thing that I can do today, this week, that might have a big impact? Is it calling somebody else? Is it writing that article? So these are the things that I, I do uh, in the morning. And after lunch, usually 
um, I got lower energy, especially if I didn't go to the gym that day. Then I'll have a meeting at 2.30 in the afternoon so I can borrow energy from, from the person that I'm uh, meeting. In the morning, sometimes when I reflect, I will think about what happened if I got one year to live? How am I going to plan my life? Or what happened if I live to 100? How am I going to live to 100? Uh, how do I change my life? So these are the things that I, I do in the morning. And also, it's also important to, to think about who you have not uh, stayed in touch. So I go through a list of people who I like, who can inspire me, who have helped me in the past. Oh, then I say, okay, this person, I've not spoken to him for six months. Let me drop a message. And you'll be surprised, all these small little messages that you send out, it comes back and people will, will appreciate that you, uh, take, you take time and take effort to stay in touch. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I encourage people to do that often. I call it one of the questions in my book. I call, it says, who would love to hear from you today? And I always say to people, mm. who would love to receive a message from you today, a photograph, a video, an email, and it's such a nice thing to send and to do and to, to be intentional about remembering all the wonderful people that you probably know and actually yeah, haven't always had the time to, to keep in touch with. So I really like that message and I hope some people will take that today and maybe send a message to someone who they haven't spoken to for a while. Yeah, um, definitely. Those, um, especially people who have helped you in the past, just uh, remind them, what they have done. It could be 10 years ago. I, I do that to my bosses as well. Bosses who have helped me 10, 15 years ago. Every two, three years, you know, I'll send them, hey, you know, you helped me and then I'm here today. I'm who I am today because of your help. And um, I think that goes a long way. Yes, what a lovely message to receive. Thank you so much, Eric. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I feel as though listening to you talk has made me feel very calm and it's been a wonderful start to my day. So I hope that it's going to be a, a wonderful start to the listener's day as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm definitely going to connect with you on LinkedIn if I haven't already. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate all of your listens, all of your shares. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do let us know. Share it with someone else. And I will be back next week with another episode. Take care. See you. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 